Yeah, welcome to the Fight for Resistance podcast. I'm your host, Uncle Fox. And today, my guest, uh, she resides in Spokane, Washington. Uh, she's Yurok and a enrolled member of the Otto Tribe, Otto Clan. And her name is Darnell Barlow. How you doing, Darnell? I'm good. Thanks for having me. All right. How's the weather up there in Spokane? Uh, it's quite nice. Uh, I think the high today is like mid-80s. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty hot over here in Arizona. Really hot. So hopefully they said it's going to get cooler by Halloween, which is like another two <laughs> months. Yeah. So, yeah, I wish one to go over. I'm, you know, we met on social media and, and uh, things like that. And one of the things I saw on your uh, on the YouTube was your food for medicine um, presentation, which was really inter- mm-hmm. interesting. So is that something that you um, focus on a lot or is there other things you do besides I know you do a lot of other stuff like your author you have like three or four books out right now um, yeah I have four books working on a fifth right currently as well yeah okay and then you do um your nutrition co- consultant mm-hmm. yeah you you do a lot here I do I wear a <laughs> lot of hats um because I'm just passionate about a lot of different things yeah and I also think they kind of relate to one another in different ways they mm-hmm. support one another yeah. So, um, and it just, it's just fun. It's fun to not have, you know, yeah. a standard schedule necessarily. Sometimes it's very stressful. <laughs> yeah, I bet. But I wouldn't trade it. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, I always talk about um, when we go to ceremonies, um, you know, we have foods there. You know, a lot of the food comes from um, government issued uh, food a long time ago, you know, like um, commodity food. Mm-hmm. So you get, you know, you, you get lard and you get flour, you get beans. And so that kind of turns into traditional food, but it's not really. So mm-hmm. um, a lot of times we have, uh, like I have a friend of mine named Robert that comes and tries to change our diet. <laughs> and we're, you know, a lot of us uh, natives are pretty stubborn about the way we eat. Is that something mm-hmm. that you deal with when you deal with this food for medicine? Almost definitely. I mean, if I'm going to work with a client, there Mm -hmm. has to be some type of agreement, you know, I mean, it's like anything else, you know, Uh, I mean, we have an addiction to food, right? Right. Especially specific things like sugar, Mm -hmm. uh, caffeine, salt. So if someone's not ready to make that transition, it's not going to work very well. And nobody likes to be forced. Yeah. And that doesn't stick, right? Um, and so you kind of have to look at it as like an addiction in a way, mm-hmm. you know, you know, you're changing a lifestyle yeah. and you want to go about it in a good way. Mm-hmm. And so there's definitely steps, um, that happen before that. And, and usually typically, I mean, people are coming to me, so they're at a point where they're dealing with some type of ailment or symptom, um, that Western medicine has not been able to assist them or support them in a way that, um, feels good for them. And so they're ready to try something different, mm-hmm. um, which takes time and patience and consistency. Yeah. And it, it seems like a lot of dietary too is, you know, being, even being diabetic, you know, cause I have, I have yeah. family members that are diabetic and it's hard to change your diet and what, what you're eating. And then when you go to ceremonies, there's not really much diabetic food there. You know what I mean? It's very true. Mm-hmm. Very, very true. So it's like, it's, it's actually, it's really dis- disappointing um, for me when I go to specific events, ceremonies and things mm-hmm. where they're just, you know, we're promoting that colonize the colonized food. 
yeah. you know, and the food that's making us sick. And, um, and sometimes it can be a lack of resources. And I understand that, yeah. you know, some communities might have a lack of resources as far as those foods go. Mm-hmm. Um, so that can be a part of it as well. And also, of course, there's cost, right? Because cheap, cheap food is, you know, poor nutrition. Yeah. So that's not a coincidence mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> by any means. Right. Right. Um, so, you know, there's that connection too. Mm-hmm. Um, but if anywhere we were to have that experience of traditional foods, it, you know, the ceremonies would be yeah. the time that it's needed most. Yeah. Cause there's a, I mean, even like the elders kind of know, like my mom, she, she don't talk too much about, you know, what she used to eat, but sometimes she'll come up and tell me, Oh, we used to eat this in the desert, you know, like that. Uh, you didn't tell me that before, you know, like she just, they, they used to do it, but you know, they got so used to, I think in, like in where I'm from in St. Carlos, they had that commodity food, you know, and they just, you just stand in line and give it out to you, you know? And so a lot of people would mm-hmm. stand in line and get most of their food from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And that's why this food sovereignty movement is one of the, I feel like one of the positive things we can take from COVID because mm-hmm. there's been a lot of, um, there's been a lot of movement. There's been a lot of programs that are offering assistance in yeah. communities. If you apply for different federal grant programs, you know, there's, there is support out there and resources that weren't there prior. Mm-hmm. I feel like, um, since COVID and, and communities really coming together and realizing how essential food sovereignty is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm seeing so much more of that now than ever before where mm-hmm. we're trying to, 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 you know, make that happen. Yeah. Um, which, which is really going to be the game changer, right. Mm-hmm. Um, is creating that food sovereignty, um, within our communities. And if you're urban native as well, you know, yeah. there's also ways to go about that too. Yeah. There's like a lot of, um, I know here there's a lot of people that kind of went back when COVID hit that they were trying mm-hmm. to go like, you know. Um, someone were boiling sage and, you know, drinking certain kind of teas, you know, like just natural stuff trying to, yeah, you know, so I know people resorted back to that when, when COVID came up. Almost definitely. I mean, and it was unfortunate though, because a lot of that sharing, um, depending on what kind of network platform you were sharing it on was mm-hmm. taken down. I saw that often, you know, yeah. Um, I feel like, there's a lot of stigmas with that clash between Western medicine and then our, you know, indigenous practices in medicine. Mm -hmm. So, um, I did see, you know, some of that back and forth where they were trying, you know what I mean? Where they're trying to, to discredit, um, the medicine that was our first medicine. Yeah. Of course. Yes. Yeah, because a lot of times we, the pandemic, you know, we had influenza, you know, that hit Mm -hmm. the Native Americans and I mean, a lot of, uh, thyroid pandemic hit us in the 1930s mm-hmm. in California. So, it, you know, any kind of sickness, you know, we always seem to get hit hard on that. Well, and it really boils, to, it comes down to prevention. Mm-hmm. That's the key is, and that's what our ancestors did. You know, they had a balanced diet yeah. um, and they utilized, right? They utilized every part of the animal, every part of the plant. Yeah. And it was in harmony with mother nature. So that was all preventive medicine yeah and we tend to now wait until something's wrong okay yeah to do something to change something (laughs) right right Uh, (laughs) so i think that's that's a big shift that would need to change is thinking about the preventive part before we get to that point 
You you think our uh, the name Americans our health like you think it's caught up to today's food or we're still kind of you think we that's why we have a lot of issues health wise because we're eating this food that's you know that doesn't come naturally you know like what we used to have. I think that we're more predisposed to certain um, symptoms, you know, certain, I don't like using the word like diseases or anything, but just certain ailments Mm -hmm. because it's not in our genetics, Yeah, you know? And so that just makes us, it it makes it harder for us to digest certain things, to break them down. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm more sensitive to dairy and caffeine. Okay. And I think that that definite and sugar. Mm-hmm. And I think that most definitely relates. And I see it with a lot of indigenous people mm-hmm. that I work with to that ancestral lineage. You know, th- those weren't things that we had yeah. or used in our diets at all. Mm-hmm. So it would make sense that we would have more sensitivities to to them as well, you know, and how they break down in the body. I mean, people tend to forget even alcohol. Alcohol breaks down into sugar. Yes. Essentially. Mm-hmm. So... You know, that being something that maybe we have a more difficult time processing, it makes sense to me because it, you know, it breaks down to sugar. So, Mm, yeah, yeah, I definitely, I definitely see a correlation between um, the numbers that we see, but also it's, it's lack of resource, still having a lack of resources. Yeah. And it it does seem like a lot of people that I know are lactose, you know, a lot of my cousins or, you know, family, they're they're lactose. So they're very lactose. And if we really want to get into it, I mean, essentially, I mean, it's just it's kind of crazy. I'm not saying anything against dairy, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, but for us to drink the milk of another animal is quite strange. Yeah. Um, But if we were going to do it, we should be going with the more nutritious option. You know, goat milk is a lot more nutritious than cow's milk. Yeah. Um, and then even reindeer milk. So the indigenous folks that, that herd reindeer, that's actually the most nutritious milk that you can drink. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. And it's what, and it sustains their people. To me, that makes sense. Yeah. You know? Um, but it's also about the practices around that industry that I have an issue with, you know what I mean? Because we know as, as, in, as indigenous folks that there's an energy into everything that we do and how it's cultivated and processed. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the way that our, our dairy cows are, are kept pregnant and, and pumped full of antibiotics and different yeah. things like that, all of that energy is transferred onto us. Yeah. So there's a way to go about it in a sustainable way um, that's going to benefit, I think, people and also, you know, not be difficult for the animals that they're living some quality of life. Yeah. You know? Yeah, because, I mean, like, I know in Sankara, it's like, we'll have, you know, deer meat, elk meat, you know, and things like mm-hmm. that, that, that um, it's, it has a really good taste to it. You know, you could tell the difference, but uh, not yeah, a lot of tribes and do that. Yeah, it is, it ta- because they were eating their natural diet, too. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Right. And, yeah, that's not the case with our factory farming. Yeah. But definitely. that's what's affordable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> So, so it's all of those systems, right? It's how all of those systems connect. Yeah. Um, it, it just seems like, you know, like for me as an American, you know, I, and to my kids, I always tell them like, you know, we're, we're, we might be diabetic when we get older. You know, that, I mean, I think that's everybody's in their back of their mind as natives, you know, like mm-hmm. we have to you know take care of our health or we're going to be diabetic, you know? And so just things like that we have to deal with, you know, it seems like every day about what we're eating. 
Yeah, and it's not even just about what we're eating. I've really gone down a big rabbit hole the last few years about some different ways that um, we ignite disease that mm -hmm. aren't just related to diet. And so what they're starting to find out um, through, you know, the this through um, the research of epigenetics is that it's what ignites some of those causes of diseases or different things in the body. It's mm -hmm. not necessarily all hereditary. Yeah. It's um, how we pass on those relationships. So how we pass on our relationship to food, how we teach our children how to manage stress mm -hmm. by the way that we manage our stress. Yeah. And so those are the things okay. that actually ignite inflammation in the body, which I find really interesting but also really empowering. Yes. Because that means we can do something about it. Right? Right, definitely. Um, when we understand that. And, you know, and that work is done on a spiritual, emotional, mental level. Mm -hmm. You know, so the food is just one part of that. And it's an important part. But I, from working with folks, I, I and even myself included, that stress management part is so critical. Yes. Yeah, because even so. even ceremonies can be stressful, you know, like, you know, mm -hmm. your supplies and what you need and, you know, who's coming and the food. Uh, it, it is stressful. I mean, I had a my daughter had a, a dance at coming to a ceremony and it was stressful getting everything together, you know. And so uh, knowing that I could I could see why. Mm hmm. And I'm sure it is because you want everything to be, you know, a mm -hmm. certain way and to go a certain way and, and make sure everything's taken care of. But it, we always have to go back and remind ourselves, and I'm guilty of this completely, that we're putting that energy into that yeah. process, right? Right. That's true. And yeah, so that's all contributing <laughs> <laughs> to the to the main event, you yeah. know, to the outcome. And I, I most definitely have to check myself on that. Yeah. Um, all the time, you know, that's an ongoing process. You know, I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Like, I don't want to be putting that energy into there, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's so natural for us to stress. Like, that's really not a tool we're taught very yeah. well, is how to manage our stress. Oh, okay. You know? And then we're stressed. Think about you know, it. When we're stressed, <laughs> we want to eat, you know? And, you know, because some, yeah. Food does make my stress go away sometimes. So yeah, and that's that's what it is, right? So right. what we're taught is coping mechanisms. Yeah. That's what we're taught. So we eat, we use substance abuse, we mm -hmm. use erratic behavior, we use other addictive types of coping mechanisms to deal with stress or distract. We distract, okay. you know, even yeah. something as simple as that, um, instead of you know actually dealing with it. That's what we're taught, I feel like, um, in today's society. Yeah, that, um, that is true. I didn't, I didn't think about that. Mm -hmm. Hmm. I do a talk just on managing stress. Oh, yeah? <laughs> oh, wow. Because, I mean, they say it's the silent killer for a reason. Yes, definitely. So, you know, you, there are healthy individuals that do everything right and then have a brain aneurysm or a heart attack even. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, I always wonder in the back of my mind, was there something going on where stress was not being properly managed? Yeah. Yeah. And there's some that's the opposite. They're like stress free and then, you know, they don't eat too well, you know, so. You're right. Mm -hmm. I mean, and some of the happiest people in the world, right, have very little. Yeah. <laughs> but they know how to not be stressed, but they're not stressed out. Yeah. 
Okay. You know, um, which is really interesting. So um, you do but, the you yeah. do the um, food for medicine, and you also do stress. I uh, do lots of different talks. I ah. do, yeah, because the health coaching is the food is a part of the health coaching, mm-hmm. but it's mind, body, spirit. Yeah. So I do a lot of different things within that health coaching um, lens. So it just depends on what what um, a particular person wants to work on. Or if I'm, you know, or doing like, a, I do a lot of contract work for federal grant programs too. Yeah. So, I mean, it just depends on what we're looking at, you yeah. know, um, and then a different direction to go with it. And like self-care is also a big subject I talk yeah. a lot about. And um, I call it rituals of self-care and I incorporate, you know, some indigenous um, practices and different ways that we're able to express ourselves yeah. um, through creative expression, yeah. you know what I mean? Or being in nature or dream medicine, or there's just lots of different things mm-hmm. um, that are so important when it comes to self-care. Cause that's also something that we pass on to our kids. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. is how we take care of ourselves. So, um, but that's another aspect, right. Of that mind, body, spirit. Yeah, definitely. Uh, right? Because it's, right. it's all about being in balance. Yes. So we, ju- we just have to look at all the different core things that, that we want to keep in balance so mm-hmm. that we can, you know, stay, you know, yeah. basically in that, in that space. What, because it's not, it's not, it doesn't work to just go one f- direction what, or the other. What age so. group do you kind of hit this on, on your topics, like you know, your classes or what you're teaching? What kind of it totally group? depends because um, I also do talks just for teenagers too. Okay. Um, I've done things around um, early prevention of marijuana use. I've done that for kids. Okay. Um, for the state of Washington. Yeah. And also adults who work with teens. Yeah. Um, and then, but a lot of my talks, I would say most of the food of medicine talks are for adults. Um, but I am. Uh, employed again this year um, for our public school system here in Spokane as a Native American educator. Mm -hmm. So I've been going into the high schools. Um, I just got back into the high schools again this last year since COVID and working with teenagers. Oh, wow. And and Um, who's better, who's better students? You think like the the teenagers or the like, you know, the um, Mm. older age? Cause like my father or, you know, some of my family, you know, like, if I try to tell him like, Hey dad, you know, you can't be eating this. He'll, you know, he's pretty stubborn. You know, he eats something, you know, who eat it. Uh, he won't really, he'll, he'll eat what he's used to and not, you know, so, I mean, I see a lot yeah. of like that. I think, well, this is kind of where it changed. It, it, there's pros and cons to both. Mm-hmm. Like for the most part, young people don't get to necessarily choose. Yeah someone else is choosing for them right right so they can only choose so much of what they're eating when someone else is paying the grocery bill yes um but they're more open i feel like especially if they're dealing with symptoms or ailments that are really um hindering Mm -hmm. you know their athletic performance or their school performance or something then they're more willing to to change but as we get older we get real set in our ways Mm mm-hmm and we'd rather just complain and take over the counter medication. And I don't call it medicine. For me, there's a there's a very big difference between medicine and medication. Yeah. Um, and we'd rather just keep, you know, 
<laughs> in that vicious cycle. Yeah. Um, uh, I think that it's harder to work with adults. Well, like, you know, the older you get, yeah. I think it's harder. Yeah. Personally, been harder to work with elders just because, you know, they're more set in their ways. Yes. As far as that goes. But, you know, one of the beautiful things that I figured out was if I can work with the young people, mm -hmm. then who work with their elders. Yes. That's when that shift will happen. Yeah. That's because right. they're like, oh, my grandkid. You know, not my child, because usually they don't want to hear it from you. But yeah. like if your grandkids are making you healthier things or introducing yeah. some of that stuff in, you're going to be more apt to like try it and participate in it than if your own child is bossing you around or I'm, a, you know, yeah. an outsider telling you. So well, I think that's good because I mean, when I was in high school, I, I played, you know, three sports in high school um, four years and I don't remember eating healthy. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I don't remember eating as uh, I should be. You know, I don't remember um, mm -hmm. working out like I should have, you know, I, but um, that that's good to get that involved in high school because, you know, a lot of times you know, we don't eat that well. We don't. I mean, I grew up on processed food. I was raised by my single dad. Mm -hmm. So I felt terrible, you know, yeah. and I had they, you know, diagnosed me with irritable bowel syndrome. Mm hmm. Um, when I was like 16 or something and I was living off of drinking Pepto-Bismol, you know, yeah. before my basketball games and I, my stomach hurt all the time, you know, and I went to specialists, specific specialists, gastrologists, in fact. Yeah. And they never asked me what I was eating. Wow. You know, and I hear that all the time and mm -hmm. it's because Western medicine compartmentalizes the body. Mm -hmm. We treat specific body parts symptoms and eastern medicine and indigenous medicine we look at the root cause we try to figure out what's going on mm -hmm. with other you know what i mean in the body as a whole yeah. and specifically for me i really look at the gut because it it's 70 percent of our immune system at yeah. least it might even be more than that um and so that's how we get to the root of actually what's happening and not just treating mm -hmm. the symptoms. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. And where we go wrong so often, you know, cause inflammation, all inflammation, even inflammation that contributes to Alzheimer's and dementia, mm -hmm. it all begins in the gut. Okay. So we should always be asking what we're eating, no matter who we're going to go see for whatever problem it is. If you have issues with arthritis, I would definitely ask you what you were eating. Mm -hmm. You know, because there could be a definite correlation between sugar causing inflammation in your body and contributing to that arthritis. So you think like even you're saying even dementia, it could have been contributing yes. to the food that we're eating. So dementia is, is, yeah. So basically what happens is when we're eating foods that aren't working with our body and we're ignoring the symptoms, because usually the symptoms start off pretty mild mm -hmm. and we're ignoring the symptoms and we're not allowing the intestinal lining to repair itself, which it repairs itself, I think about every seven days. Okay. But we, we get these little holes in our intestinal lining and then undigested food, bacteria, inflammation leaks out and it yeah. travels to weak parts in the body. Yeah. And for some people, where it goes is the brain. 
Okay. And so that's where we're seeing what they call type three. They call it type three diabetes. Oh, hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And it is interesting, right? Right. And so truly what we eat not just only affects our physical self, but mm -hmm. it affects our mental. I mean, you know, you see it with kids and how they might not perform very well in school when they eat a sugar loaded breakfast and yeah. they're falling asleep. Yes. In class, right? right? Or they're or they're super sensitive and they're hyperactive, mm -hmm. and they're you know showing signs of ADHD, which is very much overdiagnosed in this country. Yeah, where I think oftentimes it's diet, or the child might need a different learning style. Yeah, you know, and that learning style of sitting in a desk for however many hours a day mm -hmm. is just not beneficial for that child. Mm -hmm. So. Um, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. And over time, that inflammation is most, you know, it contributes to those those things that we're seeing with Alzheimer's and dementia. Yeah. Um, it's quite fascinating, you know. But our, our, our gut actually, so our gut develops, uh, it has its own uh, brain mm -hmm. and it has its own central nervous system. Yeah. So it sends those chemical messages from the food you're eating to your brain. And that's what we continue to ignore. Yeah. And that develops in the womb before our actual brain does. Mm -hmm. So, okay. you know, it, so if we don't get, you know, full development of the gut, you'll often see other things happen um, with development of our brain before we're born as well. There's connections there as well. It, it's, and it's, how that there's it's there's such a, a beautiful, strong connection between our gut and our brain that we yeah. just don't acknowledge. It, it, seems, um, it seems like, uh, you know, like your great grandfather's. They were, you know, they passed away from bronchitis, pneumonia, mm -hmm. you know, um, the flu. And then the next generation was um, passing away from cancer because, you know, a lot of a lot of the Americans worked in uh, mines and, you know, and things yeah. like that. And then uh, where they live yeah. was polluted from mines. And then now in this generation, this seems like it's more of a health issue. If the Americans pass away, you know, they're diabetic or high blood pressure, you know, mm -hmm. and, and things like that it just seems like things change as generation goes on. Yeah, I think you're right, though. Definitely those environmental factors mm -hmm. played a huge part Yeah. Um, in that cancer um, that we're seeing. But now, yeah, I mean, we still see a lot of um, diabetes and heart disease. Yeah. Heart disease is another big one. Um, like you said, high blood pressure. Um, but I, you know, I also relate a lot of that work again back to epigenetics and, and historical trauma yeah. because we get we pass that down through our genetics even when it's not a first mm -hmm. person experience that that trauma we know that right yeah it's it's passed down and so if that ancestral healing continues to not be done and that work continues to not be done it most definitely um can you know manifest yeah as a physical symptom in generations to come okay i, I can does that make sense yeah that makes sense yeah because you know i think um what do you what do you think about fasting because i i always hear like you know Native americans a long time where we we fast a lot and you know we you know we didn't eat as much during certain years so we fast and, yeah. and things like that is that something that um we should be doing or going back to or just um, depends on how I we... think I do fasting, but it's definitely for purpose and intention, you know, mm -hmm. um, I think that 
it really depends on the situation, the person's health, pre-existing yeah. health, what they're doing it for, how long they're doing it for, you know what I mean? Yeah. And depending on it, is it going, are they going to be supervised by anybody? Yeah. Um, I think that, that fasting um, is a beautiful way to allow the digestive system a break mm -hmm. and because it takes a lot of energy to digest your food. That's often why we get very tired Yeah. Um, when we digest food because it takes a lot of energy to break it down. Yeah. So when you're not, it gives your body uh, some, some, and also gives your body an opportunity to push toxins out. So oftentimes while you get really cranky or sleepy, yeah. um, low energy when you're fasting, at least in the beginning, you know okay. what I mean? But then yeah. if it goes on for a few more days, that energy comes back. Um, but I, I think it's very beneficial, especially, I mean, I fast often when I prepare for sweat lodge yeah. personally, or I do plant dieting um, where I fast off of food, but then I just eat one specific plant medicine mm -hmm. um, in a tea form and in other forms that I take it mm -hmm. just so I can connect with that plant specific plant in a more intimate way. Yeah. Um, and then there's intermittent fasting, which I do think is pretty beneficial, but most people probably couldn't do the standard um, so intermittent fasting is, you know, when you eat between certain hours okay. and typically they'll say you're eight hours a day you can eat. And then for those other 16 hours, you don't eat. So you have a block of time. Yeah. It's not about counting calories or any of that. It's just, you have a block of time. And for me personally, that's a difficult schedule, especially yeah. with having a young child. Yeah. Um, so I like like, I'll do like, uh, instead of doing it that extreme, I'll do 10, um, 10 and uh, 14 or 12 and 12. Okay. And I do feel good when I do that. Okay. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it can get dangerous when you go for prolonged periods of time. Mm -hmm. If you're somebody who might have some health, you know, ailments, yeah. you definitely should be consulting, you know, some yeah. medical professionals. You should be having, you know what I mean? Some yeah. support around you to make sure you're doing it in a safe way. I think it can very much go too extreme. Mm -hmm. um, so it's something that you need to be, you know, do your research and, and be smart I, about I, how you, you're going about it. You mentioned earlier, but yeah, that's the only time I've heard about fasting is when for ceremonies, you know, the dancers would, mm -hmm. would fast for four days before a ceremony. So that's the only time yeah. I really have heard of it, you know, and then like on my Pomo side, they, they used to, you know, not eat any meat or, or any meat cooked in grease. You know, they would, they couldn't eat mm -hmm. anything. They had to eat everything that would had to be baked or, you know, soup or stuff like that. But mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the only time well, I heard yeah, of fasting. Well, yeah, intermittent fasting right now is a new health craze. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty popular. So that's something you, you probably see around a lot. Mm -hmm. I just really fully think that not everything works for everybody. And we weren't designed to yeah. all eat the same and be on the same schedule. And yes. I think that we need to treat it as individuals and that we have different needs at different times, depending yeah. on stress, hormones, age. Mm-hmm you know, and your, um, and what your ancestry is. So, and your just your in, internal environment and your external environment. So I think that it changes. Yeah. And that's what yeah. I was asking, like, you think we adapt because like, I know, um, um, on my Pomo site, well, a long time ago, they had, I know, 
people was there asking, you know, our relatives about uh, words for, you know, certain things. And, you know, one of the uh, speakers asked one of the elders, you know, how do you say breakfast? And he, and he said the word and he said uh, lunch and he said the same word <laughs> and he said dinner mm-hmm. and he said the same word. So we never had, you know, like breakfast, lunch, dinner. He was just no. saying the same thing, you know, over and over. There was no word for those. No, and the word breakfast comes from breaking your fast. Yeah. So we, right? So we right. weren't, so we didn't eat all night. Okay. Nobody ate all night. <laughs> <That's what laughs> but you're right. Yeah. Like, no, we didn't eat specific times of the day. Yeah. You know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You, it was intuitively, mm-hmm. well, for one, you ate when you had the resources, right? right. But also, you ate when you were hungry. You know, when it was time to eat with your family, with your community, Mm -hmm. it wasn't set. Then this, you know, that whole schedule situation was just not a part of a part of the daily life. I think that's why we're, you know, a lot of them were diabetic, you know, from from eating on, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner, you know, all the stuff that's going on today. Not everybody needs breakfast, lunch and dinner. (laughs) You know, I know people that benefit from eating one large meal a day yeah or people who benefit from i mean i would be sick i can only eat so much food at once yeah or some people who eat five six meals small meals a day Mm -hmm. right right so not all of us and that's why i just keep i just it's frustrating because we're just not meant to all eat the same and it can change yeah for you what Mm -hmm. that looks like i was a vegetarian for 10 years Mm mm-hmm and for a period of time that worked really well for me not everybody could be a vegetarian yeah you know their body type what their needs are it wouldn't work or they don't have the resources to be a vegetarian in a healthy way mm-hmm. you know where they're actually getting what they need yeah um and then i came to a, a a really big life change that was incredibly stressful and i lost weight that i couldn't afford to lose yeah and i went back to eating I started with my traditional meats yeah. first um, and I went back to eating meat again. Mm-hmm. So like I said, sometimes, you know, those shifts in our life happen and our body, we need to get in touch with that connection that I was talking about between our gut and our brain and, and acknowledging what it needs. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Cause it seemed like a lot of things um, food wise, you know, it, it uh, I remember I used to tell them, some of my friends that, like, even in Pomo country, you know, we ate at midnight. They served everybody mm-hmm. at midnight, you know, and it was like, wow, why at midnight? Well, I don't know. It's just always been midnight. You know, we never had a time, I guess. So up there in Northern California, it was, they served everybody at midnight. <laughs> so they, yeah. you know, that was our food at midnight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just a lot of different ways um, we eat today, you know, but. Well, and it also depends on like if you're going to be active, like, yeah. you know, if you're going to eat and go to bed, it's probably not going to sit very well. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Because <laughs> um, it's just going to sit there. Yeah. But if you know, you're, you know, it, it's beneficial to eat your calories when you're going to be the most active right yeah. during the day so that when you go to bed. You know, you're not going to, you're not going to sleep well if yeah. you're, di- if you're working really hard to digest food. Yeah. And then, like I said, that, that midnight, there was dancing going on all night. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It does make right. sense. <laughs> yeah. 
because and it was giving you fuel yeah to continue those those dances and those ceremonies all night um what traditional food you guys have up there that that your tribe um eat, eat a lot right now um well i don't live on my ancestral land yeah um, I live in Spokane, Washington, yes. so I'm on the ancestral lands of the Kalispell, Coeur d'Alene, mm-hmm. Spokane, and Colville Confederated Tribes. Yeah. But I could tell you either one. I mean, what we eat here and then what we yeah. eat like in Yurok country and stuff, ancestral foods. I just came back from the salmon ceremony Okay. Um, of my people, um, and we're in Klamath, California, along the yeah. Klamath River, um, and obviously salmon, oh, yes. um, eel, um there's lots of seaweed, which I love. Acorns, mm-hmm. um, pine nuts um, are pretty significant, you know, yeah. traditional foods, I would say. And then lots of berries, obviously, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then over here, you know, we I do a lot of uh, root digging and stuff over in this area. Yeah. Um, and so we, you know, I work a lot with camas. It's from the lily family. Um, it's like a bulb and you, you gather it usually towards, um, end of spring, summertime. It becomes, once it, the rains go away for a while, it becomes really difficult to, to be able to find it. Okay. Cause you identify by the flat, the plant that's above. Mm-hmm. And so once the rain stops for a significant period of time, it just becomes real difficult. Yeah. Um, and I really love eating that one raw, dried, or I pound it down into a flower. Yeah. And then I make it into everything you could think of. Um, I really love working with traditional foods and mm-hmm. then creating new things out of them and ways that I can share them with people. Yeah. In a new way. Okay. Um, Cause sometimes you just really need them to go really far. Yeah. <laughs> so that like more people can experience them. Right. Yeah. Cause you only right. have so much. Yes. So that's part of why I do it that way too, because it's like, Oh, you know, yeah then it, it just goes farther out and, and people can try it in a different way, which is, which is fun too. So. Yeah. Hey, I like um, the way, I like the way, um, you know, like I, I've told you before, I've been up in Hoopa, you know, at basketball tournaments and I know some people who are Yurok and the, when you get, when you have the salmon from there, like the way it's cooked and prepared, mm-hmm. I can't have it anywhere else. I mean, if I have anywhere like here in Arizona, I've ordered salmon or I can't, it, it doesn't taste as good as it does up there, the way it's cooked, you know, on the fire. Oh, yeah. And yeah. like the cedar planks yeah. and stuff around the fire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just things like I, that. It, it is, right? It's right. like that whole process, too. It, it's like that cedar, right? That's right. being, in a way, infused into the meat that's coming yeah. from that area. Mm-hmm. And it's a slow cook, you yeah, know? It, it does. It just, I have it. I brought back some canned salmon mm-hmm. from there, and I haven't opened it yet because i just really want to savor it and use it for you know a special occasion so i'm like holding on to it like it's my (laughs) precious or you know because it is to me actually i mean traditional foods for me are very much it's medicine yeah yeah and i usually only eat them for specific you know things i don't I, i wait for a special occasion and then, that's what I'm saying. Like even even like when like salmon up there, I've I've seen it done. And down here, deer. I mean, we you pray for it and you know do things for it before you uh, cook it and you know eat it. So that's something yeah. that's that I like. You know, instead of having salmon at Red Lobster, you know, I know up there that yeah. salmon's been prayed for. I know you know who you know there's cedar in it. You know, and it it, it tastes really good. 
totally. And I mean, I just know too much, unfortunately, yeah. sometimes about these different things like fish, you know what I mean? Different yeah. factory farm fish now, because that's yeah. a thing too, you know? So <laughs> yeah. it's like, I know too much. Mm-hmm. I know, you know, how those fish are treated and handled and the, the, you know, the quality mm-hmm. that's lacking, um, from those fish that are fed into to get you know sold into communities into people mm-hmm. and so just knowing all that stuff makes it more difficult you yeah. know for me to want to contribute to that industry how do you like the uh i mean i've tried the eel up there um my mm-hmm. friend big al from Iraq used to make it uh, do you mm-hmm. like eel i mean i i tried it i mean i tried to like it but it's something that i i really couldn't uh, get used to the eel yeah i've only had it you know once and it was all right i mean it's not my go-to yeah um i also brought back some sturgeon okay um which was pretty good we have sturgeon down here as well yeah um and you know i liked it too but it wasn't quite Mm -hmm. you know i prefer salmon for sure uh, they neither want you know. I don't know. And the the surgeon I had was smoked, so that might be a lot different than obviously eating it. How do you like the seaweed? Oh, I'm obsessed with seaweed. How I'm do you like, guys prepare the seaweed, seaweed over monster. there? My grandma used to just pull it out of the ocean and dry it when I was yeah. a kid in these huge like seaweed yeah. patties. Mm-hmm. And it's not like the pretty packaged seaweed you eat now. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. I just used to eat this bulky seaweed. Um, I love seaweed. It also really helps if you've got that salt inkling. Yeah. It's a good way to to help with that salt. And there's iron in seaweed as well. So, but yeah, I like, I love seaweed. When I was young. I could uh, never eat enough seaweed. When I was a kid, we used to go up because my Pomo um, culture, they eat seaweed. So we would go out there and uh, camp out there at night, you know, mm-hmm. and then get it in the morning. So that was really fun. But um yeah, the seaweed. We we the I know most of the time um, I see seaweed with tortilla, <laughs> so it's kind of like yeah. wrapped in burrito, you know. And so that yeah, that's the only way I could probably eat seaweed, you know. I, yeah, I eat I'll eat it pretty much any way you make it. <laughs> Doesn't really matter. I'm not picky. Yeah. About seaweed and how it's cultivated, you know. I'm just like whatever. I'll eat it in all different flavors and forms and mm-hmm. seaweed salad. I love a seaweed salad. Okay. You know. Yeah, I've never had any other seaweed but in a tortilla. I think. Yeah, it's delicious. I it also I feel like is just nice. It helps with digestion for some reason. I've mm-hmm. always found that with seaweed as well. I'm not sure why or if that's just with me, but yeah. It seems to help with digestion too. So, but it's yeah, I tell people if you're wanting a salt, crunchy alternative, seaweed might be a good a good choice. Do you, do you um have any wild tobacco up there or anywhere up there? Wild. Um, I have never come upon wild. I grow okay. ceremony. I grow my own tobacco. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just grow it, you know, in and my uh, my home. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've never seen it when I've been okay. anywhere I've been. Now, what do you do with but your that tobacco? Mean it's not here. What do you do with your tobacco? You. Um, my tobacco, I, uh, basically, well, I process it and Mm -hmm. I, I hold on to it and I gift it or use it just for ceremonial purposes. Okay. Um, it got pretty, unfortunately, like when I had the best, um, crop ever, the snow came too soon. And when I was gone out of town and it ruined it because you have to wait till it turns yellow to harvest it. And 
it just the whole plant wasn't yellow yet so mm. it wasn't ready and so it killed a lot the majority of my plants while i was gone but i just really love being able to use it or gift it mm-hmm. to people yeah you know so yeah we used to i mean a lot i think even the apaches and the pomos used to you know smoke tobacco but i don't think today yeah it's not i have as... i have not chose to smoke it yeah yet. i could but i haven't um I haven't chosen to smoke. I don't smoke anything, so <laughs> <laughs> I just haven't. I'm just like, oh, I. I mean, if I feel if it feels right at some point, maybe. But yeah, that's not how I've been using it. So, and then I've saved some tobacco flowers. I know sometimes you can make some essence and different things with stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, so I've thought about you know using that in some kind of salve or something. Yeah, or making a soap or something like that but is there any roots that you use right now like for medicine or anything like that any roots well yeah, i mean obviously let's see well bitter root so i don't know that it grows over there in cal i wouldn't have known if it was in california but that one's in the spring and it's got these beautiful bright pink flowers but you don't want to gather it once they've bloomed okay so you want to gather it before they're open mm-hmm. um and then it's um it's got this really bright orange peel um, on it that you want to get the peel completely off. And then under Mm -hmm. it are these white shoots and they're super long and skinny and delicate and it's incredibly bitter. That's why it's called bitter root. And it tastes like aspirin in my opinion. Yeah. Um, And it's meant for pain. Um, Okay. And so I feel like that helps you remember because it tastes like aspirin. So it helps with like, you know, if you're having some type of physical yeah. uh, pain in the body or you could use it topically. So that's something I use quite a bit. And mm-hmm. um, we have bare root down here. I know that you got I got yeah. gifted the biggest bare root plant I've ever been I've ever seen in my life when I came down just recently. So that made me really excited. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we use bare root. Um, I think it's amazing for um, digestive stuff. Um, it's really calming for digestive or, yeah. and then it also helps with your throat. You can chew on bare root mm-hmm. and it'll help numb your throat, numb your gums. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one that I use actually quite a bit. We have um, angelico root. Is that the same as bare root that they use? What is it? Angelico root? It, nope. It, angelico root's different. It, it, it smells the same, right? It just, mm, I don't know. Because hmm. I don't know that it does smell the same. We have bare root down. So. We have I'd bare have root to look down that here. Into that one. We have bare root down here in Arizona. Yeah, you. Do. And then yeah, oh yeah. In California, I've, I've gotten bare root from uh, a contact I have down there. We oh. trade plant oh, okay. medicines. But in California, we use the angelica root, and we use that for you know the the singers would you know bite on the root and chew on oh, it for their voices. You know, because yeah, they, they're singing maybe, all night. You maybe know, that so. is another one. I'm just not familiar with that name for it. Hmm. Well, they uh-uh. call it baco in Pomo. It's baco. Okay. So, um, yeah. It's almost think, the same. I don't know the Yurok word for it. And Karuk, it's Kishwoof, but I don't remember the Yurok word for it because it was a Kruk man that gave it to me. Oh, okay. He he told me that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. So yeah, it seems like a we lot. We call of... it husk husk. Oh, really? Um, the Spokane tribe over here calls it husk husk. Husk husk. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And I've been sleeping with it actually by my bed because it's so beautiful. I don't want to like, 
use any of it. It's huge. It's yeah. like as big as my head. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. And I'm having a hard time wanting to mess with it because it's like it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I love it. Now, do you like uh, do you um, do you, have you tried like the acorn? Um, you know, we we pick it here. They make acorn dumplings or you know acorn soup, and then um, I've had the acorn mush. Yeah, acorn mush is in California. When I came down. I bought some acorn flour and then I made different things with it when I came home. I made muffins, I made crepes. Okay. Yeah, but I've had the mush, like the traditional mush yeah. down there and yeah. it was really good. I like the in California the pomo we we have the mush. I, I mean it's it's okay. I like I'll eat it, but I like the way the acorns made down here by the my my mom's tribe, my other tribe Apaches. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, they make the acorn differently. So I, I guess just the way people make it, you know, the tribes, maybe the water, or I don't know, I'm not sure, but um, yeah, I like the, the taste better down here than up there. Yeah, so. and I've heard the key is also like how long you, um, what is it called? How long you leach it for, or whatever. Like you have to like soak the bitterness out of it, and if you don't do it for a long enough period of time, then it's really going to affect the flavor. Okay. And so that also might contribute to you liking one more than the other, too. I don't know. It's possible. So, you know, doing all this food for medicine and all these roots, how did you get into the um, the author as a, you know, with books? Uh, it just kind of was an, I don't know. I mean, I think being a public speaker because that's been a big part of the work that I do even just with my health coaching mm-hmm. is also an, is just another way of staying in a way storyteller you mm-hmm. know and because I was telling a lot of my story growing up and dealing with certain physical ailments and not getting help and then yeah. you know my journey through reconnecting with traditional foods and using plant medicine to help yeah. myself heal and so I just kind of came to this place where, you know, I had told some of my story quite often and um, I just thought, you know, hey, if it can help people, then why not, you know, and I, I why not write a book? And I really have always loved to journal mm-hmm. um, and been into writing, but it wasn't something that I shared with folks. Um And it became my first book was a memoir. So that was my most hefty book. Uh, emotionally and physically. Okay. Um, they say it's like 10 years of therapy to write a memoir because you really have to relive all of it Okay. to, to be able to share it. So that's kind of what got me into it. But then um, and when I had my daughter, you know, I wanted to create some representation for our indigenous folks that I wasn't seeing. And so I've authored a couple children's books. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's how that started. And then I also love writing poetry. So I have a book of poetry, um, and I wanted to just, you know, express what yeah. it's, what it's like to walk this walk as a, you know, a, a, an urban native, you know, yeah. in today's world. And, and so that just became another outlet. So. Okay. Yeah. That sounds good. And then you went into the health coat, um, you do yoga too. Yeah, I was certified. I got certified to teach yoga like nine years ago. And Mm -hmm. I did teach yoga for a number of years. Um, I'm not really teaching adults. Once COVID started, I stopped teaching adults. Mm -hmm. And I haven't chosen to get back to it. I'm also certified to teach kids. Mm -hmm. And um, when I'm working in the public school system, um, one of my 
books is called Creature Teacher Yoga, and it, it has animals doing the poses, and then it has Salish translations to the po- uh, to the names of the poses. And so I'll go into like elementary schools and I'll teach kids yoga okay. um, using the Creature Teacher Yoga book. But as far as like classes, I just don't really have the time commitment mm-hmm. to want to do it on a consistent basis. Okay. So, yeah. Oh, that sounds like, uh, I mean, you do a lot of stuff here, teaching. Yeah. <laughs> I do yeah. a lot of different things. I got some some different talks coming up, which I'm looking forward to on some different things I haven't really got to talk a whole lot about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm enjoying creating some new content. Yeah. Um, and reaching some different folks that it's very, I do a lot of diversity, equity, inclusion work mm-hmm. too. So um, I really enjoy sharing my culture and my, just lived experience and just raising awareness about certain things and acknowledging certain things. Yeah. Um, and, and kind of helping facilitate and support people through that work, Mm -hmm. um, is something that I really enjoy as well. So, and that's very different from the health coaching. When you teach out, you know, your class or do you get any like uh, challenged or any kind of, um, you know, question you or what you're teaching or anything like that? When I'm teaching what? When you teach yeah, no, when you teaching like, you know, health and, you know, your 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 classes about culture and things like that. Mm-hmm. Like even your food for medicine, do you get any kind of uh, pushback from that or questions about what you're teaching? Um I get questions. I don't really get a lot of pushback. I'm pretty I mean, I really try to go in there with a humble spirit, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, I'm forever a student. Yeah. And I try not to talk about specific foods or practices that I are not of my um, ancestry or, you know what I mean, that I don't have permission to talk about Mm -hmm. or um, I haven't had any lived experience with, you know. So I try to really go in with that and being sensitive um, about the, you know, how I'm approaching certain topics the words that I'm using um, and how some of those words might be triggering for people, depending yeah. on what their relationship is to this work. Cause I don't want to like food shame people. Right. Right. Um, or somehow misrepresent mm-hmm. um, a food or uh, you know, a tri- you know, a, a tribe or something like that. So yeah. I'm very intentional when I'm presenting Um for for folks and so i've been lucky the only pushback i get is actually is from uh non-indigenous people okay i can see that yeah so i've gotten pushback there of course Hmm. um for all kinds of different reasons oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) but their their pushback doesn't affect me yeah so you know and if I did, I would try to learn from it. I mm-hmm. would want to meet with that person aside from the group yeah. and find out what it is that, um, you know, triggered them or bothered them, yeah. offended them. And how can I do better? Yeah. Um, and I think that's probably why I have been lucky enough to not get a whole lot. I think if you come in with that, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But yeah. that humble spirit of 
you know, that you're still learning and you're just sharing it, you know, what you've experienced and, and what you know, but there's room to grow. I think most people are pretty, yeah. um, pretty open and pretty forgiving yeah. if you maybe said something that they didn't, that they didn't resonate with them. Yeah. Maybe. I don't, I don't know of anybody, I mean, if, um, on, on social media, you know, I've seen you before, you have a lot of tattoos, uh, you know, and they, they, to me, they look great. Um, do you get anything from, cause I know a lot of people, um, you know, they have the three on their, um, lines on their chin and they'll mm-hmm. get kind of like, you know, some people will talk about you know, the, the tattoos on their chin. Do you get any pushback from the tattoos or anything like that? Um, yeah, and the the three lines are actually traditional to yes. my Yurok tribe. Yeah. So the, that is a tattoo that the women get to represent the mind, yes. body, spirit. Um, and I've been asked about that tattoo quite mm. a bit. And some people have even said that I have that tattoo. And I'm like, I think I would know if my chin was tattooed. <laughs> um, and I explained that that to me that that's a very... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's a very important and cultural yeah. significance to that tattoo. And, and for me personally, I will not get that tattoo unless I am told, you know, yeah. to. So for me, I'm waiting for that. I have a really strong connection to my dream medicine and, and my ancestors. And mm-hmm. I know if that's something I'm supposed to get, they're going to tell me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm fine with it if that's never the case. <laughs> yeah. Because I do see a lot of... Um, a popularity growing around it, which I think yeah. it's beautiful when yes. it comes from a good place, right? Mm-hmm. It's beautiful that people are expressing themselves that way. But I, I would hate for someone to think that I was doing it to be, you know what I mean? Yeah. To, because it's a trend or something like that. Okay. Um, if that makes sense. And yeah, I think does. that I do get some of that pushback even now because it's like, I've been heavily tattooed for yeah. a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been heavily tattooed for probably about, 20 years or something oh really so i get a ton of pushback i mean it's either one or the other it's people either really like them and they want to tell me or they really (laughs) don't like them and want to tell me okay so it goes both ways it draws negative and positive attention yeah the way that i handle it is different um Mm -hmm. i used to use it as like body armor and it would repel people and keep people away which is kind of what i wanted yeah for a period of time and then but it also can attract the wrong people mm-hmm. too which sometimes is you know definitely not good um but for the most part it's pretty positive i yeah. would say um you know but of course there's always going to be people that have something to say about it yeah and, you know yeah like to like to make their comments and whatnot so is but, there a certain, i mean is there a certain you can't look like get? me and be someone who's really reactive or you're going to just exhaust yourself. Is there like impression people get about you that that's incorrect when they first see you or anything like that? Um, I mean, they obviously, you know, so, I mean, I get all kinds of stereotypes mm-hmm. with having, you know, being heavily tattooed. Yeah. You know, that I'm, you know, a drug, you know, I use what drugs and ride yeah. motorcycles and then gang, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, or I'm promiscuous, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. Just all kinds of, of negative stereotypes. Mm-hmm. And some of those things aren't negative. Yeah. Um, but like just these perceived things, mm-hmm. um, because of them. But I think that's all the more reason to show them 
when they come at me because yeah. they do they come at me as keyboard uh, mm-hmm. warriors right mm-hmm. um on social media they're never to my face yeah. really mostly well, you know besides, hiding behind a keyboard besides the it's, tattoos i just look at it as a, as a test yeah but like besides yeah, the tattoos besides besides the tattoos you coming in you know like the impression that people get about you coming in teaching them about gut health i mean is there any kind of wrong impression they get about that or anything Mm, I don't know. I guess I'd have to ask yeah. them. Mm-hmm. I've never had anybody at least stop me to my face. Yeah. Um, because I, like I said, I'm really intentional and careful about mm-hmm. the words that I use. I yeah. don't want anybody to feel ashamed mm-hmm. for where they're at with their journey with health. Yeah. I, that's the last thing I want. Yeah. I want them to feel safe. I want them to feel comfortable sharing with me what's going on with them, whatever, what, however much they want to share, where that's, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, whatever that is. And so I actually, in my talks, offer a bit of my own vulnerability. Yeah. And that sets the stage and the, you know, the foundation for people mm-hmm. to feel that I'm sincere and, you know, a safe person yeah. to like trust or listen to. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and that I think that that's probably the the thing that's, I mean, I'm actually getting ready to do a talk for health coaching for health coaches for the mm-hmm. Latino community. I'm doing that in two days. Oh, cool. So that's like one of the things I'm talking to them about, about working with clients. Yeah. Is that while being professional, you still have to offer some sense of vulnerability Um and letting people know that, you know, this, the reason I'm here is because I went through this too. Yeah. And I understand and acknowledge, you know, some of these things that you might be dealing with. And I'm here to support. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I think that that's really, you have to be relatable. Yeah. Um, because, you know, they might come in. I might come in because, you know, I'm a, I'm a small framed person and yeah. they might look at me and be like, she's never had to worry about, you know, this or that. Yes. Or she thinks she's better than me, mm-hmm. you know? And some of those things are their own stuff and I can't help that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, but I, if I come in with a humble heart and vulnerability and just be sincere and genuine, mm-hmm. I feel like most people are going to, you know, yeah, be okay and it, with it, it you know, from there. So it seems like a lot of like health coaches that I know are native. Something happened to them. That's why they are doing what they're doing today. Like you know, like my friend Robert. You know, he said he almost died from diabetes. You know, and then mm-hmm. he, he changed his whole. You know, and now he does yeah. all this. You know, it seems like that's kind of the trend uh, to me. Like you were saying, what happened to you when you were younger? You know, and then you changed the way you ate. And it seems like a lot of the name American, you know, health coaches, that's what something had happened to them when they were younger, you know? Yeah. Those make the best coaches. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Are the people that, in my opinion, people who have relatable lived experience are going to have more empathy. Yeah. For that person. It's hard when you don't have any lived experience, you know, mm-hmm. to empathize with somebody. Yeah. It, it's just, it, you know, it's, building that foundation is so mm. important in that that trust because we're all about relationships as native people yeah and so i just think that vulnerability piece is just humbling yourself and being vulnerable and 
you know, setting mm-hmm. that as the first step. Mm-hmm. I just think people really receive it really well. Yeah. I, you I, know, mm-hmm. you think um, we're going to finally get to that point where we're going to start eating healthier. I mean, like I said before, we, I mean, like I go to ceremonies, you know, California, Arizona, we, we eat good, but we could eat better. And that's something that, you know, we would like to get to, but I don't know how long that's going to take. Yeah, definitely. I think it depends on the community. It's mm-hmm. not going to be all at once, right? right? Because certain tribes have more resources than others. Yeah. So I think that we are going and headed in that direction. I think that our youth are incredibly resilient and strong and, you know, just they're warriors. You know what I mean? And yeah. I see so many young people doing such incredible things mm-hmm. already. And they're about prevention, right? Yeah. So if we can make that significant difference with our youth, with education and resources, Mm -hmm. then they're going to grow into our adulthood. And, you know, that's going to become the protocol for ceremonies. Yeah. You know, but it's just healthy food, you know, or traditional food or whatever. Um, But it's going to take individuals stepping up Mm -hmm. and doing the extra work. You know what I mean? In the beginning to make that happen. So... Mm -hmm. Well, that's the thing that we're fighting for, you know, like with this podcast, we're fighting for Oak Flat here in Arizona, which Oak Flat carries all the, you know, uh, acorn, you know, those big acorn mm-hmm. trees that we have up there that, you know, for generations, you know, our people has been picking, you know, and using, you know, to, to eat. So, I mean, like just things like that, that we're dealing with, you know, with the mining and stuff like that, you know, polluting water and the, in the roots and all the things that we pick, you know, it just seems like we're always on, the, you know, trying to protect those things from you know, um, industries. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, because it's also about, right. Like you want to share that information, but mm-hmm. at the same time, you don't want it to be exploited Yeah. for, for Western society to profit off of it. Yeah. And then we have nothing. Mm-hmm. That's the dangers of like superfoods, right? When the whole superfood craze went and specific, you know, commun- indigenous communities from over the world, their specific, you know, traditional foods and things were completely being exploited yes. and they didn't, you know, weren't having access to them mm-hmm. like they used to be. So, okay, yeah, I mean, some stuff you have to be really mindful and also sharing within those communities. Because when I talk to people, it's sometimes across the, you know, across the United States. Mm-hmm. So I have to think about that and, you know, understand or give examples of, okay, yeah. well, the, you might not have this specific thing, but, you mm-hmm. know, al- the, here's an alternative for the region that you're in. Yeah. So you have to be, think about those things too. Oh, cool. And how it can apply. Yeah. I do the same thing with like smudging, right? Because right. like certain people will want to like smudge and they'll ask me questions about it and I'll be like, you know, and they're non native. And so I'll talk to them about how white sage is over harvested, yeah. right? And there's a shortage yeah. of white sage and, and maybe they could use these alternatives instead. Yeah. You know, of using our sacred medicines. Mm-hmm. Here's some other plants. Yeah. You know. And that's always something for me when people want to like smudge and I'm and my first question is, where did you get the sage at? <laughs> you know, yeah, that, me too. That's one of my first questions to ask. You know, if it's from a certain, you know, if it's from Amazon, then okay, I'm, I I don't want as much, you know. But if you know you got it from your own garden or you got it from yeah. a certain, you know, mountain, then okay, I'll do it. But yeah, that's one of my first questions: is where where'd you Me get too. that? 
Yeah. And so, and I get asked that a lot. Yeah. So I'm just like, how about you use this instead? You know? Yeah. And yeah. Knowing where you got the medicine from is the whole, is part of the whole point. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that's, that's so important. So yeah, I only work with medicines that I grow or get from the person, you know, I know the people. Yeah. yeah. I get them from, and that's, a- I'm not, contributing to <laughs> and that's what i used to stuff, talk so. to my uncle about too was like you know like the, even the word medicine man you know like mm-hmm. that was because um they were using you know if you had a snake bite or you broke your arm or you you know you had uh you were sick they you, they had medicines for that or they you know they put yeah. root on you or they um you know take out the poison and things like that that was a, a medicine man you know but today you know because of the the medicines they have out today over the counter you know most mm-hmm. times these uh, the medicine men you know they used to sing in ceremonies now you know but before yeah. they used to use all this root and everything to, to cure you know cure you yeah so that's things that change yeah yeah all right Donnell. well thanks for taking the time out to uh give me a call and talk over what's going on with the food uh-huh. and health yeah thanks I'll, for having me nope no problem i'll put you down um when i get out the link i'll make sure i get your uh all the links down on the podcast so everyone can see and and um you know your email and stuff like that too so all right Sounds all right good. Danielle, thank you very much thank you all right take all right. care all right bye bye well that was good um she has a lot of good um resources out there if you want to check it out um she's on amazon i'll put all the links on there um she does great work for the her community and um and she does all the uh, gut health and mental so you guys please check her out and thank you very much for your time and we'll see you on the next episode okay thank you very much bye